What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How do you engage the whole person at work and fight the impact of self-limiting beliefs? These are the questions that uh, we're going to be tackling today. I'm CT at Engage Rocket, and with us in the studio is Andrea Heron. She's the head of people at WebMD. She's also a leadership consultant and coach, published author of There's an Elephant in Your Office, and host of the award-winning podcast, The HR Scoop. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Andrea. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. So tell us more about your role at WebMD as the head of people. Oh gosh, so many things, right? Said every HR person ever. (laughs) I lead a team of business partners, our HR centralized operation function, and oversee our global HR business partners as well. I love how short you make it sound. It's so simple, but I'm sure (laughs) you're firing fires every day, just like all of our listeners out there. And I'm really curious about this book that you've written. Love the title, There's an Elephant in Your Office. Uh, I don't know about you, I've never seen one in my office. So tell me a little bit more about that and the title. The first edition was published in 2019 because my sister called me one day frantically because she was about to get fired. I'm her sister in HR, so that's your move, right? And she's saying my anxiety and depression medication and I can't meet my work needs and I I don't know what to do. I was like, what are you talking about? What anxiety, what depression? So I didn't even know my own sister had these mental health challenges. I also had no idea what anyone else at my workplace was dealing with and the gap of information and resources. I couldn't find anything to help her. And so we decided to co-write this book together from the perspective of an employee living with a mental health disorder and from the HR business perspective as to how to help people function better and be a better part of, have a better employee experience and contribute like they want to. And this was pre-pandemic. So we released a second edition in 2022, taking into account remote work and everything that had happened with mental health up till that point in those few years. book and the topic was very much ahead of its time. And obviously that topic blew up during the pandemic. How was the reception like when you first launched the book? The reason no one ever sees the elephant in the office because of that stigma associated with mental illness. And one in five U.S. adults suffers from a mental health disorder in a given year. One in five is a pretty big number. Most of those people are employed. I would say the first publication was definitely had more energy from the employee side being like wow i feel seen i wish my manager had this this is really helpful because i can identify basically with my sister's half of the story and a little bit of hesitance from the employer side being like oh can we really talk about this by the time the second edition came out it had really flipped 
and leaders were craving information because we could no longer ignore it and the stigma was going down out of pure necessity because we just couldn't act like mental health wasn't important anymore after that kind of collective trauma we all been through with the pandemic. I think sometimes under the surface that leaders, HR managers, C-suite, even till today, we don't really see mental health in the same bucket of performance. Do, do you see a link between everything that you've written about in the book and how to build and sustain elite teams? A hundred percent, because immediately when we think of mental health, we actually generally think of mental illness. So we're thinking of those one in five people who are struggling. And that is what the book is trying to support. And when it is shown when people feel supported, they have the tools and resources they need to do the job, they can and want to do it. And so when you give people those small tweaks or accommodations or flexibility that they need, they want to do a good job. And if the stress, the fear, the anxiety of pretending like it's not real or pretending like they're quote normal, they're wasting all of that energy that they could be using to contribute to the team. On the flip side, five out of five of us have mental well-being, and it is just as important as our physical well-being to take care of yourself and be productive, be creative, be able to contribute and to give that extra effort. You have to be in a good place and you can't do that if you're ignoring your physical health or your mental health. Yeah, that's a, a nice analogy. Today, organizations are expected to be aware of and potentially even support the mental health of employees, but we never see the same vigor when applied to physical health. And do you think that mental health has a special place in that relationship between employer-employee that perhaps a concept like physical health does not? I think it's been a really interesting shift because up until like pre-pandemic, I would say employers did spend money on gym memberships or encouraging different walking challenges or various physical health things and zero on mental health. But one huge change that will forever impact the workplace is Gen Z and younger. They bring a lot to the table. And one thing that they're bringing is just complete acknowledgement that mental health is important and that they have to take care of it. And that I have seen shift in expectations of benefits, what the employer provides, how they use their time off, what counts as a sick day. Really that stigma has gone way down with Gen Z. And then of course that ripples out. But I think now employers, it's just an expectation. And I think it's swung more in the mental health, just simply out of necessity right now. It'll probably come back to being both, I hope, because both are important. But definitely with the younger generation, I have seen a significant shift in expectation. Yeah, that, that's actually really true and consistent with my experience as well. I, I remember when I was first starting out, like I, I don't think I took a day of pay time off for the first two years. And I think the first time I, I did one was because I had proposed to my wife and I felt so nervous about it. It was such a stressful time. Whereas today you find people very comfortable. They've joined your company for less than three months and I need a mental health day. And actually it's perfectly fine. That should have happened like 20 years ago. And that shift where now we're more aware of mental health issues, we're more aware of that need to present an environment in the office that 
is conducive to mental health, do you feel that this creates an environment in which we have beliefs that surface that are self-limiting? There's almost this pressure to be positive all the time because you don't want to have this externality to everyone around you with doubt or concern or worry that may accidentally spread and leaders sometimes jump on it and then no, stop being negative. How do you think about these issues and walking that tightrope? Yeah, absolutely. As humans, we self-sabotage all the time (laughs) without even realizing it. It does make it harder to show up as your authentic self and bring your best skills to the table at work. And I've seen it pop up in various ways, but two ways that I've seen it specifically that I don't think very many people talk about is toxic positivity, uh, which you mentioned, and invisible rules. So I'll start with toxic positivity. That term has gained a little traction, but basically what it is when every message has to be positive. So think positive vibes only, every day is a good day, don't be so negative, it could be worse. If you've said these things, don't panic, right? These are not inherently bad. Um, A lot of us say these things with very good intentions and they can be encouraging and helpful. So I don't want anyone to think, oh no, I've completely messed it up because I said these things. But when you are a leader, especially, or just going about your work day, if these are the only types of messages allowed, if no one's allowed to have a bad day, no one's allowed to just be like, oh, this is the worst. It can really become toxic because humans have a full range of emotions. And when we downplay that or discourage kind of a very normal ebb and flow, that's where people check out. You're not going to get creativity. You're not even going to get participation because it's not posi vibes only out here in the real world. And it shouldn't be like that at work either. So tell me a little bit more about that. If I'm a leader and I do value the mental health and the expression of that at work, how do I deal with someone who's may not be that obviously having a one-off bad day. They've been known to be a little bit of griping once in a while. And they come forward one day with, this is the absolute worst. So as, as a leader, what's a good way to deal with that presentation of uh, what at the surface looks like negativity? I think the best thing you can do is say, wow, that sounds really hard. That really seems like a bad day. I'm sorry that's happening to you. At the core, humans want to feel seen and heard. That's it. They may not be in a place to even problem solve or to take constructive feedback. Sometimes we just want someone to acknowledge with us, that was awful. You can say, you know what, let's just come back to it tomorrow and start fresh. And how much of a relief that would be to that person versus having to pretend like it's not the worst in fear that they're gonna lose their job or get in trouble for simply acknowledging a bad day. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. That's a really useful tip. Just acknowledging that it's hard for that person and, and almost labeling what they're going through 
and calling it out that can really help. Another really helpful tool that I use very often in my work and my coaching is called a feelings wheel. We hear the word feelings in the work context and we're like, oh no, feelings. But what it actually is simply language. Okay. So I think sometimes in those situations where maybe someone's feeling off or having a hard day, they may not even be able to pinpoint the actual thing they're feeling. And so they're just grumpy or they're just, they can't verbalize it because they don't have the language. So what the feelings wheel is, start in the middle with a basic feeling like I'm mad. Are you really mad? You go out a layer. Are you mad or are you jealous? Maybe you're jealous because somebody has something you want. Then you can decide, do I actually want that thing? And if I do want that title, that promotion, that project, how do I get it? How do I start working towards it? Or you know what? I don't actually want that. Okay. Now I can move on and not be jealous anymore. So having language to describe that core feeling can actually help teams get along better and move on faster from conflict or just ups and downs. It's also really good to use if you have kids because they have even fewer words than we do to describe those big feelings. Yeah, I love that, especially with kids. And to a certain extent, all of us are kids just slightly more grown up. Aren't we? Aren't we though? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that the feelings wheel, the way you describe works really well if the, the person is able to identify that they are going through something. One of the struggles as a leader, and especially in HR, is a person may not know that they're going through something and they're presenting just bad behavior, um, almost like a kid. They're just, as you said, like grumpy or they're just tr- driving at something with the people around them that, that's causing a lot of grief and a lot of stress for everyone else. It's obviously a presentation of something that they're going through. How do you approach it? with the feelings, would it be very presumptuous? Because if I'm upset about something, but I don't know about it, and I'm just annoying everyone around me (laughs) with my behavior, which happens sometimes, the last thing I want is someone to come to me and say, hey, CT, are you going through something? And and I might be like, no, what do you mean? I'm just trying to get the work done. I think that goes back to um, having some kind of baseline understanding of how people tend to show up at work. So if you're a leader or in any kind of position, where you might notice this, even with a peer, you know the usual vibe, so you can tell if it's off. If you have a relationship with someone, you can more casually be like, hey, you seem off today, is everything okay? And then that person can say whatever they want. Then if they're like, ugh, I'm just having a day, fine. They don't have to tell you anything as long as they're performing and not being outright rude or bullying or something that we wouldn't accept. Just let them have the day. Right. If it becomes an ongoing problem, then maybe you want to have a, a deeper conversation about it. Got it. Yeah. I, so really just being human and being present. And I want to touch on invisible rules as well. Tell me a little bit more about what that is. So the other thing I've seen pretty frequently and have even experienced myself is that prohibits you from being fully present, fully authentic, and really performing on your team are invisible rules. These are the assumptions that you make about how you bring yourself to work that are purely based on past experiences and perceived expectations. These are not written rules. They're not a policy. They're just subconscious rules that you follow. So I'll give you a personal example. In my current role, I have tattoos down my arm and I had told myself subconsciously that because tattoos weren't allowed to be visible in the last job, that I should never show them in this job. That was not written in a handbook. That was not a policy. 
I just made that assumption. And for years, even when it was 100 degrees outside, I would not wear a short sleeve or a tank top. And then one day I just thought, it is 100 degrees outside. I want to wear a short sleeve. Why am I not? And then I really thought, is that real? I couldn't find it anywhere and I would have written the policy. So I decided to just wear it. And guess what? Nobody cared because that wasn't a real thing. That was something that I had made up an invisible rule for myself. And we do this all the time about how we communicate, how we interact, the times of when things are expected. Do we give due dates or not? What we expect and what we experience a lot of times we're restricting ourselves based on things that aren't anchored in reality. I, I'd imagine because there, there are other limiting beliefs that come about. I need to be a, a college graduate to become a VP or whatever it may be. And that really holds us yeah. back in our careers. How do you identify these though? Because they're so pernicious. They're subconscious for a reason. It may not be that easy for us to, to surface these and, and to address them logically. Yeah, it's definitely not. It does take a little effort. I would say there are a few things I would recommend if, if you are curious to uncover your own. One is when you feel that kind of resistance to, oh, I shouldn't do that. Anytime you hear the word should, that is your red flag. Because if you say, I shouldn't do that, the word should is rooted in shame. So you are shaming yourself to do or not do something. And so that right there should be your flag to reassess. Is that true? Should I really do that because it is an actual expectation or it was overtly said to me? Or is that something I'm just carrying around? If it's the latter and you're like, actually, no one said that, you can think whose voice is saying I should do it. It could be an old boss from an old job. It could be a parental figure that you're still holding on to from childhood or whenever. And so that word, like I really should do that is worth investigating. And then anytime you just feel that hesitation, like I really want to, but I won't, or I want to reach out. I don't know. I don't think I'm supposed to says who. So anytime you can hesitate, normally anytime there's a gap, in information and communication, humans will fill it in. We cannot stand a vacuum. You are constantly filling in these gaps and it's almost never positive. So when you find yourself hesitating or shoulding yourself, that's when you want to stop and be like, is this real or am I making this up? This has been so great, Andrea. If we would package all of this together, the toxic, positive, invisible rules that we have, what advice would you give to someone who's taking all of these materials in the show notes and hoping to apply them at work tomorrow. I'll give you a quick bullet points here. So for the toxic positivity, if you catch yourself really feeling resistant to letting someone have a bad day or some ups and downs, you might want to check in and see if you're allowing a full range of emotions in yourself, because often we project out what we don't allow for ourselves. And then you can also use that feelings wheel to further identify where you might get stuck. If you are in toxic positivity, those harder emotions are really difficult for you to identify in yourself. And so the, the feelings wheel can help you at least figure out where. And for the invisible rules, just start to notice where you're hesitating and keeping yourself from making progress or from reaching out or from doing something you think would be fun or good. And if you instead are holding yourself back with those self-limiting beliefs and the shoulds, which 
could be okay, that is your red flag just to check in and see is this real or is this made up. That's awesome. If anyone wanted to find you just to carry on this conversation, what's the best way for them? to? Yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn, Andrea Heron, um, or my website, which is sides, S-I-D-E-S, at consultingservices.com. The book is there as well. Well, thanks so much for hanging with us today, Andrea. For those of you who are listening, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure you drop us a review and come over to engagerocket.co slash hrimpact to find the show notes, amazing conversations with leaders and other best practices for building an elite team. My name has been CT and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.